Now, there is a, an African proverb that says it takes a village. Apparently, it's an African proverb, although I've never found out exactly where it comes from. It's probably one of those internet proverbs. But anyway, it's, apparently, it says there's a, there's a proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child. Right? It takes a village to raise a child. I'm sure you've come across that before. Uh, the proverb, of course, is true. Right? I know that because I lived in a village. I grew up in a village, and I know it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, everyone uh, sees it as their responsibility to care for the children in the village. The village I grew up was very much like that. Uh, everybody who was old is your uncle, and your, everybody who was a sort of older than sort of a lady was your auntie, and they could tell you off and all that. That's what happens in the village. Everybody takes as their responsibility to um, look and watch over you. They know that growing up in life requires the collective wisdom and support of everyone around us. They know that in villages. Uh, well, what is true in the village uh, is also true in the local church. Right? It takes the whole church to grow a child of God. Yes, you have the Holy Spirit. Yes, you have the living Word of God. But God works through His church to raise you as well in Christ. We need other followers of Christ in our lives. Think about it. Most of the important things in life... In fact, you, there's nothing really that is amazing and priceless that can be accomplished by one person alone. Most of the important things in life, they're done... You need others to help you with if you're doing anything that matters, you need somebody else to help you with it. And the same thing with your spiritual life. The most important thing in your life is if you're a true believer, is growing to know Christ. And you need other believers to do that. God has designed it like that. Now, we are currently learning this truth in the letter of Paul to the young church at Colossae. And last week we started exploring Colossians 3 verse 16. Very easy to remember. You know John 3.16. So now you know you can try and memorize uh, Colossians 3 verse 16. It says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And we said the key truth this verse is teaching us, we said that last week, is that growing in Christ, we would say today, is a village project. It's a community project, it's a village project. It happens by allowing the true message of Christ to fill our lives together. Not simply by ourselves, but together. And we learned last week that the true message of Christ is what? Everything that Paul has been teaching us in chapters 1 to 3 about who Christ is, what Christ has done, what Christ will do, all of that is the message of Christ. It's the word of Christ, right? And we said the whole Bible, in fact, points us to Christ. Therefore, we could say the whole Bible really is the message of Christ, is the word of Christ. We did that. We looked at that last week. So in verse 16, if you like, Paul is saying, allow the true message of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in the word of God to drive your every feeling, your every thought, and your every action. That's the first sentence, isn't it? Let the word or the message of Christ dwell, be at home in you richly. Now here's a key thing, right? The you... In verse 16 is plural. This doesn't come across when we read our Bibles. Because it's just it's here, you. But actually, it's made in the original language, it's in the plural form. So Paul here is not only talking about the message of Christ filling us individually. He has in mind a corporate filling. Paul is saying, grow in Christ. Saying to the Colossians and us. Grow in Christ by letting the truth of who Christ is and what he has done what he is doing, what he will do to fill all of you. This is for everyone. Don't leave anyone behind. Everyone must be filled with the message and word of Christ. 
They should not be camps at the church at Colossae with one group growing in Christ, another one being left behind. One group rooted and grounded, another one dabbling in false teaching. Now, all of you must grow in Christ. All of you must grow in being filled with the message. Make sure that happens. Is essentially what Paul is saying. Every true believer at Colossae and in this local church must be encouraged to grow in the word of Christ. This must cut across ethnicity, age, social status, gender. We must labor to ensure everyone is growing in the word. From the very youngest to the very oldest. So if somebody's at home, we can't just ignore them there at home. We must ensure we get the message out at home if they're housebound. If they're a little one, they don't yet can't really comprehend the message in the shared fellowship here, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, the gathered church like this, we must make provisions for them to be taught. That's why we have obviously the mums and toddlers and things like that. We must ensure the word of God is getting out to everyone and everyone is being built up. There must be no one left behind. If somebody is struggling in sin, you can't just ignore them. We must labor to help them. Right? Paul is saying, be a true spiritual village in which every child of God is being supported to grow in becoming like Christ. Don't be divided and don't be self-centered. The Christian life is not just about you. It's about everyone God has placed you together with. So the question is this, right? How does Paul expect them and us to do this? How does he expect us to help each other to grow in Christ by being filled with the message of Christ? Well, the answer is in the rest of verse 16. So the first sentence in verse 16 says, let the word or message of Christ dwell richly. The rest of the verse explains how that happens, right? And the rest of the verse says this, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Right? Paul is basically saying, build each other up in the message of Christ by doing two things, speaking and singing. Right? Speak the message of Christ to one another and sing the message of Christ together. Now, I was going to initially take these two things together, but actually what we're going to do, because I promise you to do this in two parts, we're going to do it in three parts. So this is the second part of verse 16. Today what I want us to do is to look at speaking the message of Christ to one another. And next week in the morning, we'll look at, we'll finish looking at verse 16 and what it teaches about singing the message of Christ to one another. We never really had a sermon on singing, so we should do that, I think, next uh, week. So this morning, let's look at speaking the word of Christ. Look at verse 16. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So the key truth really I want us to learn this morning is this. We grow in Christ by speaking the message of Christ to one another. Yes, we read it on our own. That's great. But actually, as we read the message of Christ, we are meant to speak it to one another. We are meant to take the word of God to each other. We are meant to point each other verbally to Christ. And this is a responsibility not just for people preaching, but this is for everyone. Right? Not just for elders, but for everyone in the local church. That's the key truth I want us to think about. And it's the main point on your outline. You see, many believers, I think, Treat the local church like a local football club. Like a local football team. What do I mean by that? Well, they have a spiritual team they support, led by the pastor in the dugout. And, of course, the other elders, perhaps, they are part of the dugout, as it were. The deacon, of course, is the captain of the team on the pitch, you might say. Because the deacon be more active. He, he keeps everything in play. And a few other gifted people in the church make up the talented team, right, on the pitch. So the pastor in the dugout, the team with gifted people playing the game, and the deacon, of course, as a captain. And the rest of the church, of course, are what? Spectators. 
Everyone else in the church is a spectator. Their job, of course, is to buy the ticket. We might call it the offering, right? Watch the match on Sunday. <laughs> Turn up for gathered worship Sunday morning. And cheer them on. How do they cheer them on? Hopefully through prayer. Right? I, I think that's how most people, when I speak to them, tend to see the church. Like a football team. Now, maybe I'm being extreme, but essentially I believe many Christians have a spectator mentality. And this verse is here, I think, to correct that attitude. It is saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, all of you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This verse is saying the church is actually the spiritual team itself as a whole. If you're a true follower of Christ, your job is not just giving offering and prayer or turning up or doing other things. You're on the pitch. You're one of the people playing this, uh, this football game. You're already involved. When you become a follower of Jesus, you became recruited to play on the side, on the, on the team. We, 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 are, we are playing for the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus, actually, he's on the team as well. He's our captain. He's the captain of the side. And we are playing against the evil one. And each one of us, if you're truly converted, you have a role that God has assigned you in the team to fulfill. So the church really has no spectators. In fact, the spectator is the world, we might say. Right? And so when we think about this passage, what we should be asking ourselves is a very simple question. Am I fulfilling my responsibility in the team or am I letting the side down by not doing my bid for what? Reformed United now. It's not Reformed United. Church United, right? <laughs> Church United. That's the question you should ask yourself. Am I doing my bit for the team? Now, maybe you're thinking, what is my responsibility in the church? Well, according to verse 16, you're meant to speak the message of Christ to other believers here in the life of the church and outside the church, but more specifically within the fellowship. Look at verse 16 again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all of you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, if you've been with us in Colossians, you know that in chapter 1, verse 28, Paul has already talked about how he sees his own responsibility. He sees himself as a minister called by God to do exactly these things, to teach, to admonish other people. Everyone, in fact. He believes he's been called by God to speak the message of Christ to everyone. This is his job description. Paul has talked about his job description. So when he gets to chapter 3 now, he's saying to the Colossians, I am not the only one called by God to speak to others the message of Christ. You, yes, I know you've been a believer maybe for a week, but you are also called by God to do the same. To speak to other believers. To, to encourage them, to, uh, to teach and admonish them. And those are the two things, isn't it? How are we meant to speak the message of Christ to one another? Two, two, in two ways. First of all, we must teach the message of Christ to one another. That's what verse 16 says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Doing what? Teaching one another in all wisdom. Now, the original word for teaching here is didasco. And in this context, uh, it simply means providing instruction. And the instruction here is specific. is to instruct one another in the true message of Christ, right? Now, what does that mean for us? Well, I think at the minimum, it means two things. Or, or at least one thing. At the minimum, this means that the, as a local church, right, this church... We must ensure that the teaching of the message of Christ is top priority and central in everything we do. The church as a whole must be word-centered. What Paul is saying is that, look, don't make your gatherings to be about entertaining yourself. Don't make them to be about teaching worldly ideas. Don't make them to be about social justice. Don't make them to be about all these other things. Let, when you gather, let it be about the message of 
Christ. Let it be. It's not that those things are not important. If the word must be the center. And teaching the word must be at the heart of what you do. Our gathered worship, our toddler groups, our one-to-one discipleship. All the other activities we are doing must be opportunities we are using to teach the message of Christ to one another and to, the, to a dying world. Now, don't worry, we are doing this in, uh, in, towards the end of winter, I guess. I know summer is coming, right? There will be barbecues, so I'm not saying we can't have barbecues. Uh, Brother James isn't here, and uh, uh, I'm sure I would want to double reassure him. We can still have barbecues, right? I'm not saying we can't meet for barbecues and just share fellowship, right? But what I'm saying is that this passage is reminding us as a church we must be biased towards the world. Our lives must be driven by the love of Christ and the relentless desire in us to see the message of Christ permeate each and every one of us in our ministry and our life together. That must be the bias. And I even say that this should be the bias even in our homes. I think we do a lot of things in our homes but we have to ask ourselves actually when we think of families. Do we see this priority of being word-centered in our families? It's a very... Um, Something we're thinking about there. And and I'm extending it to the family because, you see, the command here to teach one another the message of Christ is not only about what we do as a local church, but it's about you as an individual. This isn't just a command for the elders to ensure the church is word-centered. This is to you. Let the word of Christ dwell in all of you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. In in other words, if you're a follower of Christ, you are meant to instruct other believers around you in knowing Christ and what he has done for you. Forget about worrying about what gift God has given you. Worry about your job description. This is your job description. What is God's will for your life? Is to teach other believers the word of Christ. To instruct them. And I think for some of us, this turns the way we see church upside down, doesn't it? Because, you know, I speak to a lot of people and it immediately becomes clear to me that they have a wrong idea about what the church is or how the church is meant to be like. Many people think of the church as a hierarchy. They tend to think the church is like a pyramid with the pastor and the elders at the top and everyone at the bottom. And of course, some of us may have experienced church like that. I think that image, of course, comes from Roman Catholic, isn't it? With the Pope at the top, right? And the cardinals and everything. And we see it in the Anglican system with the, you know, the, the, the archbishop there and the synod structure. And the people at the bottom, they don't know what's going on. What's happening? You know, it's a very denominational view of church life. Yeah? And they think that's biblical. It's not biblical. Right? That is not a true church of Christ. It's more like a synagogue of the Antichrist. You see, the true church is not a pyramid. It's flat structured. No one is a boss here. No one is meant to be a boss in the church. Only the Lord Jesus Christ is boss. All of us are just privileged servants of King Jesus. And what God has done is he's given us different gifts, different responsibilities. And each one of us who one day give an account for what God has entrusted to us. But the church is absolutely a flat structure. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. And we're all going to give account for what God has given the responsibility. You have a responsibility in the church, if you're a true follower of Christ. I have a responsibility. But all our responsibility, brother... Um, Andrew has responsibility. Those who are leading the men, the ladies work, they have their own responsibility. We all have responsibilities. And you as a believer, 
regardless of what specific responsibility, specific title you may have, you have a responsibility, right? And the expectation of this person is that you are meant to be growing in spiritual maturity, not to remain a spiritual toddler forever. You are meant to be growing in your spiritual, in your spiritual maturity, and as you grow in that spiritual maturity, you will then be growing in teaching others in different ways. As you grow in knowing who Christ is, you're being built up by the Lord. And as you're being built up by the Lord, you should be speaking and teaching others around you in this church and beyond. Building them up. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly teaching and admonishing. We'll come to that. One another in all wisdom. Now, we should be clear that this passage is not saying that Everyone can be an elder preacher. Some people look at this passage and they abuse it. Oh, well, you see, we can teach one another. We're meant to teach one another. So everybody can. No. I mean, you gotta, the Bible has reserved clearly the preaching and teaching for men in the, in the order of the church. You just have to read Timothy to see that. You just have to look at the order of the apostles in Acts and other places. You have to see Jesus' own appointment uh, of, of disciples and so, uh, the apostles and so forth. That's, this passage isn't about that. This passage is about you as a believer, you have a responsibility to teach other believers in your life. And beloved, there is plenty, there are plenty of situations which each of us can teach one another. For example, just in this church, we, we teach one another at our Bible study discussion. If you've come to a Bible study discussion, you know that it's an open discussion, you know. Led by myself or Brother uh, Frederick. The scripture is opened. You have an opportunity to contribute your understanding to the text. We are able to exchange ideas. It's not a sermon. We are able to exchange ideas. I have learned from ladies in this church at that Bible study. They have corrected my understanding of a particular issue. So you have an opportunity, first of all, to use the forums that are there, created for you to teach one another. <laughs> So there are opportunities like that. And I'm sure it's the same thing with the ladies when they meet. There's an opportunity for you to teach others. There's an opportunity to contribute and be involved in those discussions. To hear and to teach others, instruct in that sense. The men, it's the same thing. They had a, we had a wonderful Bible study, Bible discussion led by Brother Rob, and, uh, which went up to uh, uh, an interesting time. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, so, 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 so we, there's these opportunities in the church. As, as, as we contribute to the discussions, we are pointing one another to Christ. We are teaching one another under the right biblical authority of the one who's leading us. Okay? And of course, we can teach one another by meeting up one-on-one. -on -one. I think that's implied here. Are you, are, you, are you struggling to read the Bible? Well, you can read with someone. You can, there's, you, can, you, can, you can ask somebody to read the Bible with them, and you can read with them. Or you, a friend who may not be in this church who's a believer, you can, as you share the word of God with them, they share with you. You are instructing one another. There's opportunity for you to speak the word of God to one another after the morning service over tea and coffee. Instead of running quickly for the exit, you can pause and have, talk to someone. Instead of talking about the football game, you could start, actually, how was the message? How did you find the message? What was helpful? You see, as you're doing all of these things, you are teaching, you're, fulfill, you're obeying this commandment. Let the word of Christ dwell richly, teaching one another in all wisdom. It's going to be done with wisdom. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing in this area? In all honesty, we've been going through Colossians, Right? And the first part of Colossians, two chapters, was all about indicatives. There was no really command for us to do anything. Since we eat verse 8, verse 7 of chapter 2, there have been commands after commands. Now, I know there's a lot of commands. But I wonder whether you've paused to say, actually, how am I doing in obeying what I've been hearing? And particularly this verse. How are you doing just in obeying 
this verse alone. Are you teaching another person or others the word of Christ? Would you say you have grown in teaching others the word of Christ? Are you growing in teaching and discipling other believers in the church? Remember the Great Commission? The Great Commission talks about doing what? To baptize, yeah? One another. But don't forget, teaching all I have commanded you to obey. That's how it ends. The whole point of baptism is to then instruct people so that they are taught to obey what the Lord has commanded. Right? Now, I know many of us have busy lives, right? Because I know you're going to tell me, it's so well and good, you've got the whole time. Sometimes I'm told that you've got the whole time to, to think about this outplay and do that. Fair, that's a fair response. I know many of us live very busy lives. And our natural answer is, I wish I had more times on my hands to obey this command. I hear you. I, I sympathize with that. But I want you to ask yourself honestly before God this question. Is the reason that you are not obeying this verse because you are busy or self-centered? I that's a question that only you can answer. You have to go to God and ask yourself. Is the reason that I'm not obeying this verse because I am busy or self-centered? Is the reason I don't seem to have time to pick up the phone? Remember, that there are different ways you could, do, you could bear this. I know ladies in this church who just make an effort to pick up the phone or text somebody the word of God. That's speaking the message of Christ to, an, to someone. Or even a word of encouragement, reminding them that the Lord is gracious. Now, there is a reason that you're not doing that because you're busy or self-centered. Is it because you're busy with more important things or you're busy with useless things? Or think about your Sunday morning conversation. Is the reason that you do not use Sunday morning conversation to encourage a brother in the message of Christ because you are busy or just not loving? I mean, these are questions that we must... We, people, no one should be judging us about these things because the Lord knows our hearts and we must bring them before God and ask ourselves. No, generally, maybe we have never thought about that. But we, you've heard today, so the question is, what are you going to do after today? And you must ask yourself how you respond to this verse. It's a clear command. We must ask ourselves honestly whether the issue is that we have no real opportunities to teach or we simply don't care about doing it. We've read this verse. You know, I've, I wouldn't say I've counted, but I've been deliberately reading this verse over and over. And you probably come here every Sunday, we've just been reading, reading. You've been reading this command so many times together on Sunday. Is the reason you have not yet obeyed it because he hasn't just sunk in or you just don't care? Now, I know some of us may object. We are thinking, Chola, I don't mind encouraging a sister in the word of God, in the word of Christ. I just don't know how to do it. I feel inadequate. I don't know much about the Bible. I am waiting until I know a lot more before I start reading the Bible with another person or before I can engage them in a conversation on Sundays. Beloved, now, when you voice that out, you know that's a poor excuse. Remember the Colossians were a young church. Remember the Colossians did not have the six Bibles because one of the Bibles, they probably only had Paul's letter and the Old Testament. Think of what you have. You've got the, the Bible, you've got the internet, if you get the right page of the internet. Of course, the teachings, the worth of resources that are out there. Paul isn't giving this command to the internet age. He's giving to people who are, who are less than 0.1% of what you've got. And they were young in their faith. And yet Paul encourages them to teach one another. And you must remember there's a lot of ways you can talk about the message of Christ, as I've said, without worrying about you going off the track. Right? 
As I said, after the service, for example, you could ask the first person you chat to, what did you find helpful in the message? Just that. It doesn't require expertise. Or you could ask them, what, did you, what do you need to do differently based on what you've heard? And then you can share your own thoughts and, and, and about what, how, how the message spoke to you. And maybe as you speak, you can offer to pray for them before they go home. Or you can request prayer from them. I mean, beloved, we need to see more praying in this church. People pausing. Praying for one another. They've heard. You've heard someone is going in difficulties. It's all you've said like that. I'll be thinking about. I'll be praying for Pray there. Start there. But they just pause for two minutes, three minutes. Let's pray about this. Or a passage comes to mind. Pray about that passage. Right? And if we the sermon next week, maybe you might decide to sing a hymn together. But that's next week's sermon, right? <laughs> to encourage, right? As long as you don't make too much noise. But the point is this, is that that's easy. You don't need a PhD in theology to do that. What you need is to have love for Christ. And you need to love the other person enough to want them to grow in Christ. Something with reading the Bible with someone in the church. Uh, we think that we need to be good at understanding the whole plot line of the Bible before I open to read the Bible with someone else. Actually, quite the opposite. The interesting thing is that if you're reading the Bible with someone else, you don't actually have to prepare anything. They read one chapter, you read it as well, they offer some thoughts as they are speaking, your mind is, is energized, and you're reading together. Because one issue could be flagged up and that's it. So, so my point is, I'm not saying that you don't need help to, be read, to, to read better, to get alongside people. You, of course you need help. But you don't need a PhD. You don't have to be a massive expert. Mothers, of course, already know this. We have mothers in this church that read their Bible to their kids. Do you need a PhD for that? You don't. You just get on, you read it to, the, to your child, and, and you have conversation. Ah, fathers, of course, I should be saying. Fathers need to be doing this a lot more. That's a message in two weeks' time. But the point is this, right? We can do this, right? Because God has given us all the resources and we have the Holy Spirit living in us to be able to do this kind of thing. And it's not a lot. And I know some of you are doing this already, so the encouragement to you is continue teaching other believers. And for those of us who are not doing it, we need to repent. Because this is not a suggestion, this passage. Teaching admonishing one another, that is a command. That's the first thing. Second thing, right? The second way we are meant to speak the message of Christ is that we are meant to do this by correcting one another. Did you notice that in verse 16? Teaching and what? Admonishing one another in all wisdom. Admonishing is correcting believers who are in danger of straying away from the truth. And this is so important, beloved, isn't it? Paul is saying to them, look, no, none of you has graduated in the Christian life. There's no Christian who's a graduate in spiritual things. You're still work in progress. And some of what you believe is not biblical. Do you know that? Some of what you are believing right now is not biblical. It needs to be brought back into shape. It needs to be put straight. I hope you recognize that. You are not there yet. This side of eternity. You can do with a brother or sister correcting you. Some of the way you think, feel, or live is contrary to the message of Christ. Do you know that? There's a way you're doing your life that is completely unbiblical. I know you don't think, see it that way, but you do. You have serious blind spots. I have serious blind spots that I need other believers to help me sort out, and so do you. Each of you have areas in your life that you need to address. All of us do. Right? Paul would say we have things that grieve God. And we need other believers to, their wisdom and their love to correct us in the message of Christ. You have not arrived yet. But the wonderful thing is that God has placed you in this church to correct others and for you yourself to be corrected. That's the key. 
You need correction. And you need to be correcting others. This is how we together grow in Christ. Right? Now, the first implication of that is that the church, of course, must take church discipline seriously. And I, this, is, this is one of the things that saddens me about our fellowship, actually. I think we need to take church discipline very seriously. We need to recognize there's something wrong with people, for example, going, not being in church for endless periods. While they profess faith. That's out of line with what the Bible expects. We need to know there's something wrong with uh, people not being serious uh, in putting sin to death. So, so this passage, first of all, is reminding us as a minimum, Paul is saying to the church at Colossae, don't be an undisciplined church. Be a church that takes church discipline seriously. Teach and admonish one another. Beloved, we should be growing as believers to a degree that this is not a point we need to be even hearing emphasize from the pulpit. It should be within our spiritual DNA that spiritual disciplining and corrective discipline is a key part of growing in Christ. And a church without any discipline dies. That's so important that we understand that. So at the corporate level, we must ask ourselves, how are we doing as Grace Baptist Church Bexley in the area of formative and corrective discipline of one another? The second thing we need, this passage is drawing our attention to is at the individual level, though, isn't it? As individuals... Each of us must recognize we need to be corrected by others. And I think that's what we need to focus on. Because you see, none of us have a problem correcting other people. I know there are people that struggle with correcting people. You know, it's very British sensibility, isn't it? Like, we don't really want to make a big fuss. So if um, the food does, the cucumbers have run out, we just sort of put up with it. So we don't want to go there and tell them, what's happened with the cucumbers, right? <laughs> or, or the tomatoes. We, we don't like correcting. We are very patient. That's, that's a good British sensibility. Something I've had to learn as a village boy. Because in the village, of course, you can uh, demand your way. But here, it, uh, you've got to be more patient. So, so, so none of us have a problem correcting others, by and large. Although there are cultural limits to that. The big problem is that we have a problem other people correcting us. We don't want to be corrected. We rather hide our sin instead of confessing it. We don't like seeking help from other believers. We often doggedly hold on to theological errors because our ego and even our lives are wrapped up into whatever theological position we ought. And one of the things we need to realize, beloved, is that many of us need more correction than we are getting at the moment. You need to recognize that you need more correction than the correction you are receiving in your life at this moment. And the reason you are not getting correction in your life, I think, is because many of us send signals to others that I am perfect, leave me alone. We often come to church with a mask, don't we? We come to church saying, my life is all right. Please, leave me alone. I don't need to be corrected. I don't need to be helped in any way. You see, we try to do church without deep and vulnerable relationships where our sin can be exposed and, and faulty thinking about Christ straightened out. But this passage is reminding us, you see, no one can be a healthy Christian without other people pulling you back to the truth when you go astray. You need to remember that the strongest, some of the strongest Christians in the Bible needed correction. David, who wrote the holy word of God, needed to be corrected by Nathan the prophet for his sin. Apollos needed to be corrected by Priscilla and Aquila. He had good understanding of that, but he needed some areas to be straightened out. The Apostle Peter, the rock, who preached a sermon that converted 5,000 people and wrote the Holy Word of God, once needed his behavior to be corrected by the Apostle Paul. 
And of course, the Lord Jesus had consistently having to correct. The whole disciples needed three years of massive correction by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. These are the apostles. And you can look into church history of many that have needed that. Great men, of, men and women of God that have needed correction. We all need correction. But for you to be corrected by others, you, you must first repent of your pride. You must recognize that. You need to pray that God will give you a heart that loves Christ deeply. And when you have love for Christ, you desire anything that gets in the way of your, 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 your life with Christ to be removed so you can enjoy Christ more. I mean, I always say these things. That, look, if you love your wife, would you not want anyone who can help you to love your wife better? If you are mistreating, if you love your wife and because of your bad behavior, you are not treating as you should, wouldn't you welcome somebody coming alongside you and say, because you love your wife so much, I just want to tell you, you need to sort this out so you can even show love to her better. We welcome that. Every husband, at least I know, wants to love their wife better. I hope. I hope you do. And you welcome that. The correction. Well, the same thing with the Lord Jesus. Why would you be upset at anyone trying to correct you to love Jesus more? Anyone who points out sin in your life, you should send them a Christmas card. The first person to send them a Christmas card. Because they are, they are saying, I want you to make heaven. And, and you need to get this, to sort this out, right? Now, the reason we resist that thing being corrected is that we love ourselves more than we love Jesus. Yeah? So, so as we think about these two things, let us repent and, and ask God to give us a, a heart of correction. As followers of Christ, uh, let us not be people who are waiting for people to approach us. We should hate sin so much that we are keen for other people to point it out to us. We should desire to be a Christian who is inviting others to give us honest feedback. We should be people who want sin in our lives, not to be hidden, but to be found out and destroyed. And we should be praying that God sends people into our lives who won't pamper us with our sins. But they will be so holy in their behavior that we will be feel repulsed. We, we, our sin will just feel uncomfortable around them. We want loving. I want people who are lovingly, who are loving, who are bored, that will confront my sin. I was speaking to a brother this week and, and, and there was an issue I was chatting with him about not a brother in this church, in, an, in, a, in a different church. And he just told me, he says, look, there's an issue I was discussing with him, it's a difficult issue. He just said, Chola, look, I have a problem with this issue, but my problem is not that I don't want to, um, uh, I, I don't want to be, to, to deal with it. Quite the opposite. I want to have a chat with this person because I want him to tell me where I've sinned so that I can repent. And I thought, that's a Christian talking. I am very keen to meet him because I want to hear him first tell me, you've sinned because I don't want to do anything that, that puts the name of the Lord Jesus in, in disrepute. That's how we should be, beloved, seeking out people. If we get a, a, a here or any sense that somebody thinks that we're not living right in any way, we want to seek them out, find out why they think that, and allow them to correct us. I'm not saying we should be chasing every, uh, every headline like we are Matthew Hancock or something. I'm just saying that, you know, if there is something, we should be, you know, there to seek it out. Okay? Now, let me just bring this to a, to a conclusion here. Because the question is, what is the big assumption that Paul is making as he talks about this thing? He says, look, correct one another. Teach one another. What sits underneath this? What is the big assumption Paul has made? I think the assumption Paul has made is this. He has made two assumptions, in fact. He has made the assumption that he's talking to people who are true Christians. First and foremost. Nothing that we've been talking about can even matters if you're not a believer. So Paul believes these Colossians have come to faith. They have repented of their sins. They are trusting in the Lord Jesus. They are true believers. And so the first question you must ask yourself is, am I a true believer? Are these things, things I, 
boring to me, things I don't think about, things I don't care about, what happens in these areas of teaching and correcting. Because actually, my heart isn't warm to Christ. I haven't yet come to true faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a serious question to ask ourselves. Is it we've been reading this verse a lot of times and it hasn't struck us deep because perhaps we have not connected the dots because our hearts don't warm for Christ. Every passage in the Bible, we should ask ourselves sometimes like that. If we are not living right and we don't care about God's word, why is that? Because if we are not truly converted, beloved, we must first be born again. We must first have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We must first submit to him before we can even think about correcting and admonishing one another. And for us who have attended church many times, we must ask ourselves, what's going on in my heart? Why don't these things strike me as very important? What's going on there? So first thing Paul assumes, when they read it, they're going to be bothered. They're going to take these things seriously. The second thing Paul assumes is that they're truly committed to the local church. He assumes that they are part of the spiritual village. And for us, speaking to us, he would assume that this local church is our local spiritual family. That the people sat next to us have a right to know us at a deep level. He assumes that. Why would Paul tell them, teach them, and correct them? You can't correct somebody you're not really deeply connected to. Paul assumes there is that deep connection. He assumes he's talking to people who exist as a family. Now, in our language, we call that church membership. And sadly, many people misunderstand church membership. A church member, as I was discussing with dear sister just not long ago, before the service, a church member is simply a person who's saying, I am a true follower of Christ, and I regard this church as my local church, as my local spiritual family. And they're saying, because I trust you as my family, I am giving you my permission to teach me and correct me. And you are permitting me to do the same with you. Essentially, that's church membership. It's the framework for obeying this. It's a safe space for doing that. Because all of these things we're talking about here are dangerous. Teaching can go wrong. Correction can go wrong. You all know where correction may even have gone wrong. But what is a safe space Christ? I'm sorry to sound a bit walk here. But what is, a, what is a safe space Christ has provided for these things to take place? Well, the, it is the confine of the local church where true membership shaped around the word of God can, can uh, uh, with true membership shaped around the word of God. And I would say this, if we're honest, this is something all of us want in our lives. All human beings long for true communities, isn't it? We want people who love and protect us. We want to be in a community where people invest in us and they spur us on to live a godly life. And I would say that is the local church. That is the local church. You know, one of the privileges of being a pastor is that I get to spend time with believers. You have the privilege of hearing how, how God is writing their stories. And one of the things I've discovered is that the longer someone has been a Christian, right, the more they wish they had been better discipled. It's true. Talk to any of the older saints here, they will say, some of them are good disciples, but they will say, you know, they would say something like, I wish I had somebody who really invested my time and energy in me. I've never really had anyone else apart from um, my dad or someone else that really took an interest in me and wanted to teach me the Bible, wanted me to serve, and was really interested in my life. Or they would say, look, I never had anyone who really took me to task for a serious flaw I had in my life. No one really was bothered to correct me. Other saints do that. I have the privilege of talking to other saints, and they, they say things like that. And I find that interesting. Because on one hand, I think it reflects the sad truth that we as believers are quite selfish. We don't really get alongside other people. But we only care about ourselves, right? At the same time, I have thought about this and I thought to myself, it seems to me many of us only truly understand the value of being taught and corrected later on in life as believers. 
A bit like parents. So I gotta bring this to a stop because we can talk like this forever and we run way out of, out of time. But it's a bit like this, right? It's like growing up, my mom, as you know, my mom passed away last year, so right. So as you grow up, you reflect about your parents and you think to yourself, ooh, I should have been a better son. <laughs> I, could, I should have listened more. I wish I had known what I know now about how much my mom or dad loved me and that kind of thing. We learn that as we grow, right? right? I think it's the same thing with the church. It's like, as we grow in our faith, in our maturity, we realize, I wish I was more accountable. I wish I had people who took a real interest in me. I wish I had asked more for help. And I think one of the things that you discover is this. You will say, I wish I had committed to the local church more. I wish I had committed to the local church more and truly belonged there. And I'll probably say one thing that's controversial as I come to an end is that actually the reason, the, 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 the reason people don't commit to the local church is not because they are spiritually mature. I think it's quite the opposite. Pastoral expertise, I, I would call it, tells me that, just knowing people. It's because they haven't yet grown to understand that the most valuable things in their spiritual life can only be done with the help of others. When they reach a spiritual maturity of understanding that, committing to the local church becomes very easy. And they recognize that they need other believers to grow. And I think that what that means actually with the church is that we need to be more patient with people. Because the issue sometimes when people don't commit isn't because they... We can't persuade them. God himself must bring them to a level of spiritual maturity where they recognize that. But it also means we should be praying for that level of spiritual maturity and reminding them that actually, if there's a church that's biblical, it's Christ-centered, then you have a responsibility to grow in being taught and corrected. And the best safe space for doing that is the word, is the local church. So just to summarize, we grow in becoming like Christ by filling our lives with the message of Christ. This is not something we do by ourselves. We need each other. Next week we'll look awfully shorter at verse, the rest of verse 16 and what it teaches us about growing in the message of Christ and through singing.